welcome to This Start Life. I'm your host, Lisa Leonard, and I have some pretty exciting news. This Start Life is going to be partnering with the Fuel Talk podcast to bring you even more content, great interviews, and reflection on some epic dirt adventures. I will have more details to come this week, so watch this space. Today I had the extreme honour and fortune of chatting with triathlon superstar and 2017 Ironman Wisconsin champion Danny Fisher. Danny and I met in 2014 at the Best of the US Invitational Triathlon and you know I was inspired by her then and even more so today. Um, I'm so stoked on this interview, honestly. I think it, it went better than I ever could have imagined, and I hope you all enjoy it too. Danny has some pretty profound points to make um, with regards to training and, and you know, finding your why in the sport. Um, and I think it, it should, it gave me a lot to reflect upon, and hopefully, hopefully it gives you something to reflect upon also. Um, a side note from that, I was trying some new headphones and my mic wasn't all that great, so apologies for my audio quality. Danny's is perfect, so that's really all that matters, I guess, in this interview anyway. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll improve that for next time. Anyway, without further ado, we'll get on with the interview, so please welcome Danny Fisher. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm Good, good. So I wanted to bring you onto the podcast because I feel like um, I think you have a really important story and also a really significant um, journey, especially you've been on the past couple of years, especially. And I wondered if we could like talk about that and like dissect it a little bit. Yeah. And start, first of all, way back when I met you in, was it 2014? I think it was 2014, yeah, uh, yeah. Best of the U.S. Championships. Yeah, yeah. And so at that point, um, you were like relatively new still to triathlon, right? Yeah, that was my first uh, full season of triathlon. Yeah. And how did you get into triathlon? Uh, well, I, I come from a running background. I ran at the University of Wisconsin-Madison um, I actually played soccer first and then transitioned over to cross country and track. Um, so I had that background behind me and, um, was doing a lot of elite running after college. And, uh, one of the races that I won actually the, the prize for winning was a road bike. Um, so that, that kind of propelled me into the sport. I was still in pharmacy school at the time and didn't have the financial means to, enter into the sport of triathlon that well. Um, so winning that road bike kind of gave me the, the boost I needed to take the plunge yeah. into, into the sport. Yeah. And so did you have any swimming background at that point or had you? I didn't have any competitive swimming background. No. Um, it was all, um, you know, what I learned as a kid and then, yeah. uh, self-taught through, you know, any recovery swimming that I was doing for running. Yeah. Um, so that was my biggest barrier for sure. Getting yeah. into sport. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an odd, uh, like prize for them to give you for a running event. Like, like, Hey, here's a bike, like 
try yeah. something else. <laughs> like, <laughs> it definitely was. It was, you know, um, it was a it was a Trek road bike, and as many people know, Trek is based out of Waterloo, Wisconsin. Oh um, yeah. So they 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 sponsor a lot of local events uh, gotcha. in Wisconsin there. So uh, pretty lucky to have that huge of a company very nearby at the time. Right. right. So what year were you in pharmacy school then at that point? Uh, I was in my final year, I believe. I was on my clinical rotations in 2013. Um, So, you know, I was at a point in my life where I I had my future at my fingertips and didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing, but I was excited about the prospect of trying new things. So it was one of those new things for me. Yeah. Awesome. So you started triathlon and just like took it by storm. How was that first season for you? I did. Um, it was, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be connected with people that uh, took really good care of me in terms of guiding my training. Um, I had a great coach uh, my first year in the sport um, out of Madison who really showed me the ropes and, you know, taught me all the lingo and wrote my yeah. training plans. Um and then after pharmacy school, I, I actually moved up to northern Wisconsin and worked for a couple years. But when I first moved there, I was connected with a coach who I really contribute a lot of my early success to, um, especially on the bike, um, you know, just training that winter before 2014 when we met. Um, yeah. You know, I worked really, really hard on the bike uh, in the off season. Um, and my body responded so well to that because it was such a new stimulus. You know, I was coming from running 60 to 80 miles a week of, you know, just solely run training and yeah. for my body to have this new stimulus, it would, it responded really well to that balance. That's awesome. So, um, so that first year, were you primarily doing like Olympic distances and, or did you go, when was your first like half? half Ironman right so in in 2014 my first full season it was it was primarily an Olympic distance focused year um age group nationals I think was the biggest a race that I had but I I also did um my first half Ironman as well at the uh, long course national championships oh yeah Um, so that was in June which was for me a pretty early season race Um, right yeah And so the focus kind of leading into long course nationals was a little bit different from the rest of the season, you know, age group nationals was in August. So we really switched gears after June uh, to focus on the shorter stuff. But, you know, to me, um, if you're first getting into the sport and you want to do primarily Olympic distance, that actually does translate very well over to half Ironman racing. Um, and you can, you can kind of, you know, I think for lack of a better phrase, get away with doing a lot of, um, thresholds type work, um, and have that crossover pretty well to your first half Ironman. Now, if you want to focus solely on half Ironman distance racing, then your training might be, might look a little, little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was 2014, your first ever half. And then, and then talk us through the journey to becoming a pro triathlete. Right, right. So that, that 2014 season was really my only full amateur season before accepting my pro license. Um, after 
um, age group worlds in Edmonton at the end of 2014, um, you know, I had met qualification for my pro license in three different areas. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, never something that was my only goal, you know, that, that year, but it was something that I became interested in, mm-hmm. um, the further I got into the season and, and mm-hmm. having the confidence and knowing that, Hey, yes, I can compete with them. Uh, yeah. especially that half Ironman result, um, yeah. rivaled a lot of, um, professional women's splits. Um, and you know, me being me, I wanted to challenge myself to compete against the best and be the best that I could be. And in my mind that, that meant, you know, becoming a professional triathlete. Um, so it was, uh, it was not, it was actually not a hard decision, um, when it came down to it. Um, you know, I, I looked forward to the prospect of challenging myself in that way. Yeah. So, um, so when did you take the, you took your pro license then for the 2015 season? Yep. 2015 and 2016 were my professional years. And so at that point, were you still working as a pharmacist as well? Yes. Uh, the, the entire time I was a full-time pharmacist, um, I uh, worked in um, a town called Wausau, Wisconsin uh, in 2014, and then actually um, moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, and accepted a full-time pharmacist position um, here, um, and have been working full-time ever since. Nice. And do you think, um, how do you think that, like, uh, helps or hinders you with your performance? as a pro athlete or um has your feelings about like working full-time and training changed like over the course of the past couple of years just like with what you've learned and stuff yeah that's a great question you know um uh being a, a pharmacist is to me my it's my calling in life I would never sacrifice that to be a better athlete or to have you know better, better recovery from my workouts. It's, it's just not something that I I'm willing to give up in order to, you know, go all in in triathlon. I think having balance like that is extremely important. And, you know, I, um, I really value, um, you know, helping people. And I really do feel like, like being a pharmacist is my calling. Being an athlete is also something that I feel like I've been put on this earth to do mm-hmm. to help people and, and inspire people. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not willing to give up, you know, my true passion as a pharmacist yeah. in order to, yeah. to really, you know, go all in on that. Um, yeah. I think a lot, a lot of that too has to, has to do with, um, you know, really it's, it, it would have been such a big risk to do that, you know, not only financially, um, well, primarily financially. Yeah. Um, but if, if for some reason you get hurt or injured, you know, then it's all over. It's, and it's really hard to go back, um, right. having that full-time career again. Right. Um, so that, that, you know, it's, it's my calling, it's my passion, but it also allows me to be very uh financially independent and comfortable for sure yeah. and I think like um 
I often wonder as well, like obviously like I'm I'm working as well and I think it really forces you to as you mentioned there about balance, like it forces you to maintain that balance and maintain that structure, like right. because you have to, like you can't just, you know, wing it and because you have all the entire day to do your workout and recovery, like yeah. you don't. You have like an amount of time to do that. So I think it really, like, really I think it like helps almost like to kind of keep you on focus almost. Absolutely. It's a, it's a time management tool built into right. itself. Right. Um, you have to know, you know, you have to plan your weeks in advance and know, um, you know, what time frames you're doing what and really uh-huh. stay on top of it. Um, and if you're motivated to do that, it really actually becomes pretty easy as long as you, yeah. um, you know, plan it out. Right. Absolutely. So starting into, um, your your pro career as a triathlete yeah. mm-hmm. um do you how did how did things how did things change how did things change with regards to um your uh like i guess attitude towards training and racing and how things kind of developed like how did things change yeah so um when i became a professional um things really changed in, you know, looking at it in two different ways. One side was mental. Um, and the other side was physically things changed with my body. So I'll start with the mental part first. Um, you know, inserting yourself into the professional triathlete world, um, is a very daunting thing and you're, purpose for doing the sport changes. It, it, mm-hmm. it goes from being something that you experience with other people and have fun with and challenge your body with. And, um, you know, you're doing all this with people that you love and you're not, you're not going to races for a paycheck. You're not, right. you know, traveling places just for the sake of traveling there. Cause there's a pro field, you know, you're, right. you're, 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 you know, it it really changed my mentality in that way that, you know, I, I felt like I had to stack up or I had to win money or I yeah. had to go to, you know, New Orleans and Puerto Rico and all these places because that was where, you know, the pros went. Right. And, right. Um, you know, and, and so things changed mentally for me in that it was it started to become something I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I planned my life around this sport that became more of a chore to me. Right. Uh, so, you know, you can imagine how that makes you mentally feel not only on a global scale, but just on a day-to-day basis, motivating yourself to do, you know, X, Y, Z of a workout. Um, right. you know, the things that you're thinking about during the workout also change. So, yeah. I think it it was a, a trickle down effect then to the physical part of it. Um, you know, I, I felt, um, you know, and, and by this time I'd been in the sport for two years now and mm. um, that new stimulus that my body had originally um, is it, going away. It's not a new stimulus right. anymore. Um, right. And, you know, I, I, I started to become very, anaerobically dominant um you know i'd forgotten what uh periodization of training meant and polarization of training 
Um, it was just go, go all the time. And if, if I wasn't feeling good in workouts, then it must mean that I'm not fit and I need to try harder. And it became this vicious cycle of overtraining. Um, because, you know, you have all this pressure on you. Yeah. It's, it's both external, but a lot of it, yes, was internal pressure from myself. Um, but having that tag on me as a professional triathlete um, really put me in uh, dark places, both mentally and physically, eventually, yeah. That, yeah. that led to burnout. Yeah. And so do you, was it obvious to come to that realization or do you feel like it was a slowly building thing or did it culminate in like, do you have like a moment where you just feel like a light bulb switched and you're like, okay, this is, I need to make a change. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, last spring. Um, I got so deep into it that I didn't even want to run anymore. Um, and when Danny Fisher doesn't want to run, then we all know something's wrong. Yeah. I actually, I didn't run for, I think it was at least three weeks um, wow. in May of last year, May into June of 2016. Um, I wasn't, I had hung up my bike. Um, I was still swimming, but it wasn't, it wasn't for training. It was just to kind of move my body. Um and uh, I actually got connected with somebody um, here in Indianapolis. Uh, she owns a cycle studio. Uh, her mm -hmm. name's Shay Rankin. She's actually now my current coach. Okay. Um, but she turned me on to um, what the definition of overtraining is. And uh, actually, uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone yeah. um, and his, and, and his um, research uh, so, you know, she sent me an article on overtraining that um, Dr. Maffetone wrote, and it all just started to make sense to me. Um, you know, there's different stages of overtraining, and I was definitely in the last stage. I was uh, just emotionally burnt out with it yeah. um, to the point where my body just stopped responding to everything. So that really, to me, was the turning point um, and the the uh, message that I needed that I needed to get healthy again. You know, yeah. it wasn't that I was unfit, but I was definitely unhealthy. Right. Right. And that, I mean, that had to be like difficult to come to terms with. I mean, you know, so you realize this and then how do you set about changing it? Did you know that, like, you know, how did you come to the point of saying, you know what, I, I don't need this pro license. I don't need this pro card. I want to go back to the amateur field. I want right. to go back to my roots type thing. Right. So the process to getting healthy again um, really started in June of last year. Um, and it was both, uh, again, a, a mental and physical process. Um, we uh, focused primarily on aerobic development. So we ditched all the speed and power and quality work. Um, and we just focused on building my base back again. And we did that yeah. a lot through, through heart rate training and not exceeding that. Um, what Dr. Maffetone says is your MAF heart rate or your maximum aerobic function heart rate. Yeah. Um, and that, that helped my body feel, feel really good again and get me, it, it got me uh, metabolically efficient as well. You know, burning more fat for fuel instead of, mm. you know, primarily selecting glycogen as fuel. Um, so that was step one, you know, that was the physical part. 
and and with with that aerobic development my mental the mental side of things really came around too you know yeah. I, I my body started to feel good again so then my mind followed suit right uh, you know and um i you know from june through september we had about 12 weeks of that aerobic development that that got me to the start line of ironman wisconsin um mm-hmm. my my first ironman it was a professional my final uh, race as a professional. Yep. Um, and, and I had so much fun at that race because mentally I was in a good place. Yeah. Um, I was, I was very aerobically developed at that point. You know, we had 12 weeks of that base building under me. Um, um, and I, I consciously chose to experience the race in a very positive fashion um, being that it was Madison, Wisconsin, and that's where I went to school for my undergraduate and professional schooling years. Um, yeah. So I had my family and friends there, and I chose to enjoy the race regardless of being a professional. And when I crossed that finish line, I knew exactly what I had to do, that I wanted to keep doing that and uh-huh. to not worry about, you know, being in a race because it was a professional race or being in a race because there was an opportunity to win money. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want that pressure anymore. The, the only thing that mattered to me on that day was that I was doing something that I loved with the people that I loved yeah. and that did not require being a professional. Man, that's powerful stuff right there. Yeah. Huh? yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's really, I think that that's something that I think a lot of us could just stand to kind of take a step back and, and just kind of harness that. Cause I think once you're not having fun, like, you know, you're not enjoying it. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, are, you, are you just like going through the motions or so, so you, um, I guess, like, essentially, how how did that happen? You just, like, downgrade your license to the amateur and then just continue, right? Right. So, you know, I what I did was I, f- I figured out my why. And everyone needs to really figure out their why. Why are you doing this? And yeah. if, and like you said, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not having fun, you know, really analyze is, is it just that day or is it becoming a trend? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all going to have days where we don't feel like doing it and, right. and you got to kind of roll with the punches, but, yeah. um, you know, you, you have to know why you're doing something and you have to constantly remind yourself of that. Yeah. So, so what I did is I, I, I let my professional license license expire. Mm-hmm. Um, the professional license for USA triathlon is actually a calendar year. Um, so it's January 1st through December 31st, you know, versus the amateur, um, uh, registration is it starts whenever you sign up. Right. So I just, I let it expire at the end of December. Um, and then I became an amateur as of January 1st of this year. Cool. So now fast forward to your most recent race back in Wisconsin. Yeah. So tell us about that race. So that was, uh, you know, I I crossed the finish line in 2016 as in my my final year as a professional, my final race as a professional, and I knew the minute that I crossed the finish line, 
there that I wanted to come back and do this race again as an amateur. And I spent 52 weeks preparing for it, visualizing it, and um, training for the biggest race of my life. And because it just means so much to me, you know, and um, there were a host of differences between the preparation for the the race in 2016 versus 2017 um you know the main one being the length of time that we had to prepare for the race you know right. 12 weeks versus 52 i mean right. that that alone will will um make you gains but you know just the experience of having done an ironman anybody will tell you that uh-huh. just by having done one ironman you're you're going to come back the next time you do it and cut probably 20 minutes off at least right just from that experience. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had my aerobic foundation under me again. I had the experience of having been overtrained. So I knew what it took to avoid that. Right. Um, and you know, I, I had all of this, these host of resources and research that I had at my fingertips now that I could pull from. And, you know, a lot of it was firsthand knowledge of having gone through a lot of you know, strife myself with my training, but, um, you know, really introducing, um, you know, chronological polarization, uh, and periodization into my, into my training was very important. You know, after I finished the Ironman in 2016, I, I continued with my aerobic development. Obviously I gave myself a little break and then, you know, to kind of mentally rejuvenate, but then you, you throughout the off season, you're working on your aerobic base building. Um, and once you've, once you plateau with that, then it's time to add in that quality to add in that power and speed. You know, you, I, I liken it to a pyramid. You really have to have your aerobic base first before you can sharpen the tip of your pyramid. Um, Yeah. So that really was the difference was, um, you know, length of time for preparation mental difference, uh, with, you know, not being a professional anymore. I was going back to the roots of what I was in the sport for. And then third was, you know, just the, the, uh, the, the year of training kind of mapping it out. And, you know, you have these different phases of training that you're going through. You have your, you have your rest phase, you have your aerobic phase, then you have your, your power phase, and then finally your speed and sharpening phase. Um, and that was something that I totally, you know, didn't have prior to, prior to my, my development for Ironman 2017. Yeah. And so, um, on the start line, were you, how did they have to start? Like, did they have a pro field that went off first and then amateurs went second or how, what was the start line like? Uh, yeah, so Ironman Wisconsin, uh, for those that don't know, um, it alternates every year with a female and ma- male pro field. So last year when I did it, it was a female pro field. Um, this year when I did it, it was males only. So we had um, the males went off at 640, I believe, and then um, age group waves started at 645. Um, this was actually the first year that Ironman Wisconsin was not a mass start Um, yeah that's an interesting thing I thought that um I feel like they've started doing a lot more of that like the wave starts from for a Ironman 
I'm not sure. Do you know why or? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with safety. So um, Iron Man has gone to, you know, this year they tried a lot of rolling swim starts where you kind of self-seed your swim time, you know, into different corrals. And then you just start one by one trickling into the water um, and it's all chip time. So, um, you know, that has been proven to um, increase participant satisfaction and safety. They've had less... Um, incidences in swims where they've had to pull people out, um, things like that. Um, so they're, they're trying to get away from these mass starts. You know, Ironman Wisconsin has traditionally always been one, so they didn't want to completely do away with the mass start. They made very, they made four, I think it was four or five very large waves. So it still felt like a mass start, but it was safer for the volunteers out there to be able to see. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. And so what was your headspace like on the morning of the race? How did you, did you wake up just feeling ready to go? Or did you have like a routine that you went through to mentally prepare yourself for that start line? You know, I went into that race, like I said, I had 52 weeks of preparation and I had full confidence in my preparation for that race. And so all that was left to do on that day was to execute it. Yeah. Um, I I was walking down to the swim start and I ran into a guy actually who knew who I was um, and uh, he actually messaged me after the race and said, you know, I, I saw you walking down to the swim start and I knew you were focused so I didn't want to interrupt your, your, pre- your mental preparation but I just wanted to tell you that, you know, you had the look of complete confidence and the look of a, of a champion. Yeah. You you looked, you looked like you were going to win that race. And at that time I I didn't realize that that's what I looked like, but you know, I really deep down, I, I did, I, I knew that I had prepared, I had done everything that I could for the last year to cross that finish line first and to do it all with a smile on my face. You know, I, that's, that's really what I wanted to do was, yeah. Do the best that I could and let people know out there that I was having fun doing it. Yeah, for sure. I think I've I've seen a few of your race pictures and they're all just like big big old smiles, like not <laughs> not what you're used to seeing from like someone who's about to cross like an Ironman finish line in first place. Like you yeah. so know, it was it was definitely that was a great message to see and I'm sure people like looking at those pictures will appreciate that too. So when did you know that you were in first place and when was like, when did you realize that this is actually going to happen? Like you were actually going to finish first place female in Ironman, Wisconsin? Well, I guess actually, you know, taking out the whole feeling of knowing I was going to win before it even started, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't want, I don't want that, that to come across as me being cocky because I, I'm the furthest thing from a cocky athlete, but you know, just, I, I had full confidence and trust in my training yep. um, to, to feel that way. But I think logistically during the race, um, um, I, w- I was getting updates from my friends and family that were at the, at the race. Um, yeah. And they were giving me updates as to how, either how far behind I was or how far ahead I was. Um, I actually later learned that my, my family was lying to me the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so on the bike, 
on the bike. Um, I didn't, I don't think I got any updates where I was, but you know, there, there came a time when I, I stopped passing other women, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I had passed everyone I, I needed to pass. And so I was just out there passing men (laughs) at that point. Um, so I knew that I was probably in the lead at that point, uh, on the bike, but wasn't sure, you know, so obviously you have in, in long course triathlon, you have your own personal goals and your own, you know, power range for what you need to be putting out and you just stick to the plan. So I stuck to the plan regardless of where other people were, you know, and, and then once we got on the run, um, you know, I, I got an update pretty quick, um, within the first three or four miles from my family that, that I was ahead. And, um, you know, I knew at that point, as long as I could, I could stay on top of my nutrition and hydration, then there was nobody that was going to catch me. You know, I, I, again, I had full, full confidence in my training and my, my race plan. And I felt really, really strong on the run, um, for a good, you know, two thirds to three quarters of it, you know, and I knew that, you know, I, I just had to keep executing like I had done all day up to that point. Yeah. So how are they lying to you? <laughs> well, they actually, <laughs> that's a good question. They, they, I think I was up, I was up by, you know, 20, 30 minutes at some point on the run. Wow. You know, and, and they, they just kept telling me I was up by eight or 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want me to get too comfortable. They right, right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, pretty soon I, I didn't even really care how yeah. far ahead I was. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, it, it actually, to me became a race, uh, to beat 10 hours. Um, yeah. you know, I think it was some, somewhere right before the nine hour mark, I switched my watch over to just total time okay. and, uh, was kind of doing the math in my head about how fast I had to run to get under 10. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that that became a, a secondary motivating factor. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so then talk us about crossing the finish line. What was that moment like and how did you feel? Is it just yeah, so, you can't put so, into words or <laughs> Yeah, it it's really hard to, to put it into words. I when I did that race in twenty sixteen, my first Ironman, I was so overcome with emotion that last mile. It was so unexpected. Um, you know, you, you kind of, for anybody that's done Ironman Wisconsin, you turn, um, off of Henry street onto state street and go up towards the Capitol around the Capitol. And then you finish right in front of Monona Terrace and that's your last mile. Well, when you turn off of Henry street onto state, you're looking smack dab at the Capitol of, of Wisconsin, you know, and this is a, this is a street that I had walked up and down you know, every day of my life for six years. And I knew every crack in that sidewalk. And the minute I turned that corner and saw the Capitol, I was just overcome with emotion and tears. And it was, it was, it was very, very emotional for me. And, you know, this year, uh, Mm -hmm. when I turned that corner, I expected to feel those same feelings, but I, it wasn't the same. It was, um, I was more overcome with just excitement and joy and happiness. And, you know, I was able to pick out faces on the side of the street and give people high fives and fist pumps. And, um, it was, it was something that I did not expect to feel 
um, you know, as compared with the previous year. So I, I, I wholeheartedly embraced it. I uh, made sure to interact with as many people as I could. And that's, and that's really the reason why I I do the sport in the, in the first place. So, um, you know, I, I knew I was up by a pretty healthy margin at that point. So I could kind of take my time and really, really relish in, in that feeling. And it was a great feeling. That's awesome. So then can you tell us, so you're, you still know, what is your why then now? Yeah. So my why, um, uh, you know, it has really been an, an evolving, um, evolving thing over the last four years, I would say, but I think I've, I've finally nailed it down to what it truly is. And that is, I do this sport to, you know, challenge myself and push myself to the limits and see exactly what I'm capable of doing. But I don't want to do that alone. And, you know, many people might find that, you know, kind of ironic because it is a individual sport, but there's a lot about this sport that you cannot do. Uh, You you cannot get away with doing it by yourself. Um, You know, I um, have many, many people that support me, um, you know, from sponsorships to, um, you know, just people helping me out, out of the goodness of their heart. But I think, you know, having training partners is very important. And, um, you know, going to races where you're going to have a bunch of friends there and family there to support you is very important. And, you know, I learned through being a professional, it's, it's really no fun to go to a race by yourself and not know anyone there, you know, it's, what the fun part about it is seeing your friends out on the course and, you know, giving people high fives and, you know, the, the, the experience doesn't end when you cross the finish line. I mean, there's, there's beers to be drank. There's, you know, laughs to be had. There's, you know, you stick around and hang out. And that really to me is, is, um, so the experience of, of triathlon is really my why not, not, not exactly the sport itself. It's, yeah. it's the people uh, and the experience surrounding it. That's awesome. So um, what, what goals do you have now in the sport? Like, do you, do you have any goals outside of triathlon? Like um, any like things you want to try coming up or. Yeah. So obviously I qualified for Kona, so I'll be doing that next year. Uh, in October. So that's really, that's, that's kind of my, uh, you know, one year out goal. Um, But in the meantime, uh, you know, this off season, you know, probably until maybe November, December, when it's time to start focusing again, I really am enjoying getting outside my box and and challenging myself in new ways. Um, uh, Just recently bought myself a road bike. So I'm doing a lot of road cycling with friends in town. And um, just did a Fondo last weekend, 67 mile Fondo, uh, going out to California, um, uh, in three weeks for another one, uh, Phil's cookie Fondo. And so that's been really fun. Um, I, I have a mountain bike as well, so yeah. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to channel my inner Lisa Leonard and, uh, <laughs> and, uh hitting up, hitting up the trails here in Indianapolis. Um, there you go. <laughs> so that's been fun. You know, you know, all these things have have good crossover effect to travel as well. So, 
Yeah. It's, it's very mentally stimulating. Um, yeah. but I don't lose my entire base of triathlon fitness. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I'm so stoked for you. And honestly, I think, um, I think that, that burnout is something that a lot of us have experienced. And I think it's difficult to, um, it's for sure difficult to identify when you're in the middle of it, you know, right. and then, and often, often it, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't know many people that were in that early stage of overtraining and recognized it and then made a change. I feel like it's, it's really only like, it kind of has to, you have to kind of almost like hit rock bottom before you can move yeah. back again. So I think it's important to, to kind of share these stories and like allow other people to recognize that it's, it's really important to stay on top of, on top of that, like make sure that you're not getting overtrained, making sure that you're not getting burned out and just kind of completely losing your way with it. So, right. yeah, watching, um, watching your race and then, and then having the results come in, like it was very awe inspiring to watch. So huge round of applause for you for that. Thank you. <laughs> and now Lisa. we can't wait to watch you in Kona next year as well. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take some time to really um analyze my why for for Kona. Uh mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll be my first world championship, so I don't want to go into it with a, a a lot of pressure on myself, but at the same time, me being me, I you know, I I don't want to go in there and totally, you know, half-ass the race per se. Right. Uh, yeah. You'll so, have a good experience. You know, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. more to come on that in terms yeah. of of uh of how I approach Kona yeah. next year. Do you have any strategies you use for your mental game? Like, do you practice meditation or anything like that? Uh, I think uh, not meditation exactly, but I think visualization is very important. Yeah. Um, you you kind of have to know uh, exactly what your body is capable of, and that, that comes through training. But, um, you know, there were countless times before Ironman Wisconsin this year that I visualized myself on, on different points of the course, um, knowing exactly how I felt at different times, uh, during the race, uh, mentally and physically helped very much helped me overcome, um, uh, and, and approach those feelings when they did come on. You know, I think, you know, I talked a little bit about the, having the experience of done and I, uh, of doing an Ironman will help you greatly in your, your second one. Yeah. Um, for, for that, that reason, exactly. You know, you, you know exactly how you felt your first time around and that can help you, um, help you the second time around. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with, uh, you know, recognizing that in the moment and then visualizing it before you get into it the next time around. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's something that like speaking to people across different sports as well, like, that's something that everyone always comes back to. I mean, visualizing, visualizing the course, visualizing that how you feel, it's like a super powerful tool. And um, I think like it's so simple, you know, like it just takes some time to just sit down, like clear some mental headspace and, and do that visualization. So. Right. There's, um, and there's, there's so much crossover too between mental and physical strength. You know, I'm the type of athlete where, I draw a lot of mental strength from my, my physical strength and, and having faith and confidence in my training and knowing that if I just, 
prepare the way that I should be preparing and and knock it out every day, then I'm going to draw a lot of uh, mental strength from that and and yeah. mental confidence. Yeah. How do you like? How do you cope now with like a an off day of training, or if you start to feel like you're getting burnt out, or you know you just don't feel good someday, mm-hmm. do you do you still take the day off and then how does that affect your mental game? Do you still feel like you can take that strength away or do you, I think we were talking um, this week at human performance summit and um, talking about, you know, as athletes, some days, like if we, if we end up having to miss a day because we're not feeling well or we're tired Mm -hmm. and then, and then you're like kind of hard on yourself because of that. Like, do you, how do you cope with that? Do you take days off or do you find that you're so well, um, your plan is so well structured that that doesn't, you don't have that at all? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's for, for athletes that are coached, um, it, it, it very much is a learning process in the beginning of that relationship to know, okay, what exactly does she respond to? How, how long does it take her to recover from, you know, X, Y, Z of a workout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like my coach and I have, have come to a very good point where we've got it pretty nailed down. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, avoiding days where you feel extremely tired or sore, um, where you still need to complete a very quality workout should, mm-hmm. that should not, that should not happen. I mean, right. um, you, those days should be your easy days or off days. And that comes through polarization of training. Um, so what polarization of training really means is your hard days need to be very, very hard. And all the days surrounding those hard days should be extremely easy. Um, and if you're a, an athlete that trains by heart rate, which you know I did to kind of recover from overtraining, that can be an extremely powerful tool to give you feedback and tell you, are you really going easy enough? It might feel easy, but if your heart rate is still at 160 or 170, then it's yeah. not easy enough. Right. Um, so until you kind of learn that about yourself, until you learn, um, you know, how long it, it really truly does take you to recover from a, a hard workout, you know, those feedback uh, tools can be very powerful. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and, Personally, in terms of myself, I know I I have, you know, two extremely difficult days of workouts a week in me. And if I try to exceed that, if I try to go to three, then I'm going to enter into some pretty dangerous waters if I, if I keep doing that, you know, and that, that when I say, when I say hard days, I mean, bike and run, you know, the swim is kind of separate to me, uh, just in terms of impact on your body, you really can, can insert a lot of quality into the pool every time you're swimming. And, and as triathletes, we kind of have to do that um, just because of time, time limitations. Um, but for me, I have two hard days in me and every day around, around those two hard days, I am, I am recovering and I'm going really easy, you know, pretty rarely do I take a full day off, but my recovery days are so easy that my body actually feels rejuvenated afterwards. You know, I feel like I can keep going and that's how you really need to, 
need to gauge if your easy days are easy enough is at the end of that easy run or easy bike. Do you feel like you could keep going for miles and miles? Then that's when you should stop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's really, really good advice. And I think something that a lot of people probably are not doing is going easy enough on those easy days. I think it's too, it's too easy not to go easy if that makes sense you know (laughs) yeah and then all it does is is take away from your next hard day you know that's yeah those are the those are the workouts you really want to absorb and you really can only absorb those hard days if you're if you're recovering you know our our fitness our fitness does not improve through hard workouts It, it it improves through recovery from those hard workouts yeah so I think people need to keep that in mind um you know, if you're, if you have a really extremely difficult workout one day, those, those two days afterwards are going to be paramount in absorbing that workout for, for your next, your next bout of training. Awesome. Awesome. You're so wise. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned a lot. I've (laughs) learned a lot uh, throughout my years in the sport. And, um, yeah, you know, I think keeping everything in perspective is extremely important. Um, so, any chance I can get to share that with people and help people, um, that is that is uh, extremely important to me and and one of the reasons why I'm I'm still doing it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we'll wrap up for just now. So I want to take time to say a huge thank you for coming on the podcast and wishing you all the best for your off season. Hope you have some fun out in the trails, <laughs> and and then we'll. Yeah. Let's catch up. Um, let's certainly catch up after Kona, but that's a long time away. So maybe let's catch up before then. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, thank you so much, Lisa, for having me on. I'm I'm honored uh, to to uh, talk with you today, and I'd love to catch up soon. Maybe sometime during the Kona build. Yes, that would be that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. All right, we'll say bye for now. Okay. Bye, Lisa. Bye. Thanks again for listening, guys. As I said, we've got some fun and exciting news coming this week, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, stay dirty, my friends.